This is our guardhouse, our reception, closed circuit TV monitoring room, men's and women's restroom, mechanical gates for automobiles, pedestrians, also a bus gate. It's all coming together. Amen. We couldn't do it without you. This church is probably our biggest supporter. And I'm talking about my wife and I, our personal ministry, not just Hope Village. You guys are incredible, and we really appreciate everything you do. Whenever I navigate to this place um, on my Google, in my cell phone, it says, this is where I work, this location, this address. I didn't put it like that, but I guess Google's pretty smart and knows this is our, this is our church. We look at you guys as our church family, and we appreciate everything that you guys have done for us. And so what you're seeing right there, a lot of it, you guys can take the credit for it. Sister Goins, I wonder how many lumpia you made. She made a whole bunch of lumpia, and you guys helped her, and you guys ate them. I wouldn't mind having a couple right now. Amen. There's one way that you guys could help us. Uh, we have a social media uh, person that works just on our social media accounts, and we were talking to her today, and she said, please tell people that even if you don't have money, one of the biggest things you can do for Hope Village is you can follow us on Facebook, Hope Village International, and also Instagram, Hope Village International, and you can like our, uh, our videos and different things, and then forward them. I don't understand the world of social media, but apparently the more you have like that going on, the more you have access and you may not have the money to, to, to build, you know, something, but you might be able to send it to somebody that they may not even go to this church, but they're thinking of a project. They, God's blessed them and they're wanting to help. And if you recommend it, you say, hey, this is a worthy cause. Who knows? They just might do something. So follow us on uh, Facebook and Instagram and let's let's make Facebook work for the kingdom of God for a change. Amen. Amen. Yes, Sister Goins, we're praying for you. You're going to be fine in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. She's a fighter. And uh, that's what you got to be in this life. You can't just lay down and let stuff happen to you. You've got to keep fighting. You've got to have a spirit of fight in you. And uh, Brother Goins, we love you, give you honor. And Pastor and Sister Goins, give you guys honor too. I don't know where Pastor went. There he is. And my mom and dad, they surprised us today and said they were coming over. We had no idea. I read the text message I was driving. I didn't notice the fact that they wanted to come to service tonight. And so I didn't respond till later about that. But we're so glad they're here. My mom and dad are my heroes. 
they are so passionate about the work of God and that's, that's their hobby is the work of God, the people of God. And it's been that way their whole life. Amen. So we're glad you guys are here. I'm glad my wife is here. She's the best part of my personal ministry. She's my secret weapon and my partner. We drove all the way from Milwaukee. Sunday, we preached in Milwaukee. And when we woke up Sunday morning, the wind chill was 29 below zero. We're not, we're not used to that. And went out and got coffee somewhere and brought it in. It was about frozen before I got it into the hotel. I mean, 29 below zero. And uh, then we drove down here and in Arkansas, woke up and the streets were iced over. It's like, what's going on? This stuff is following us. And I heard that coming down here, I don't know, Monday? Is that when we're supposed to get some really cold weather? So I'm very sorry. Blame my wife. What happened was, what happened was we were in the desert for, I think it was 150 days straight, Phoenix and Las Vegas area. It was triple digits, unbroken, triple digits, 150 days straight. And that's where we were. And my wife was like, Lord, when we go to Wisconsin, let there be snow. Well, was there ever snow? It started in October, and they said, oh, I don't snow in October. Yes, it does. She's praying for it. And so I started telling people, and they were like, tell her, tell her to stop praying. So she stopped, but prayers are powerful. They just keep going. And it just kept snowing and snowing. And I think there were 17 inches in Milwaukee in a week and a half. So, sorry, we're here and it's coming. So, amen. Joshua chapter 2, verse 21. Amen. You can stand if it is your custom. I love this. I love this sanctuary. It's got a... It's got a feel to it. It's got a feel of preparation to it. It's, it's like the table has been set. It's not just the, the look, the technology. It's the fact that somebody's been praying. Amen. When you worship, you, you, you set the table for the miraculous. And God is in this house. Amen. Joshua chapter 2 verse 21 Talking about Rahab, Rahab the harlot in Jericho. And she said, according unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, the two spies, she sent them away, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet line in the window. The scarlet line, some translations say the scarlet cord. I want to preach to you tonight, hope on a rope. Hope on a rope. How many of you know where your hope is? We've got hope in a lot of things, but when it all starts shaking, you've only got hope really in one thing that's going to last. Amen. Let's all pray. Lord, we thank you for your anointing that's in this house, your presence. God, we are here today to make a declaration that our hope is in you. Our hope is not in anything else. God, we know that with you, 
All things are possible. But God, without you, we are miserable. God, we are placing our hope in you. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. 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 You may be seated. Amen. If you were raised in a traditional Christian home, chances are that you know about the seven virtues. Seven virtues are not taken directly from the Word of God. Um, but the virtues as listed in traditional religion started with prudence and then justice, temperance, courage, or fortitude is what they said sometimes with the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. Now, I won't deal with the first three. We'll skip straight to the middle of these seven, which is courage or fortitude. Everybody say courage. Courage is an apostolic virtue. You and I are supposed to be courageous. Because if we're filled with the Holy Ghost, he said, I will give you power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. In the book of Acts, there was a new word that was introduced into the New Testament that had not previously been used. And the word was boldness. Boldness. In other words, I am going to be courageous in this Situation, boldness or courage. Courage simply means mental or moral strength to venture, to persevere and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. If danger shuts you down, if fear shuts you down, if difficulty shuts you down, then I don't want to say it. Okay, I do want to say it. You're not a disciple. Amen? Venture. Venture is one of the words. It's, it's, it's the mental or moral strength to venture. If you venture, it means to proceed, especially in the face of danger. In other words... When I go out and there is no danger involved, it's just a stroll in the park, that is not a venture, that is just a walk. However, if you have been called and you have been called into a situation where you are to face danger and you go out anyway, then we say you are venturing it means to expose to hazard. It means risk. It means gamble. It means to undertake the risks and dangers of something. It also means brave. An undertaking involving chance, risk, or danger. Amen. Our world is not doing so good with the, the, fourth, uh, the fourth virtue, courage. Can somebody agree with me? Then there were the three taken directly from the Bible in order. It was faith, hope, and love. Faith means, among other things, to completely trust 
to completely trust. Hope means expectation of fulfillment or success. And then love, in a biblical de definition, means to prefer, to put first. Agape uh, definition means selfless love or unconditional love. You know, we never were perfect as a country. There's no way we would ever be perfect because none of us are perfect. But on the virtue scale, we are not doing so good. But where we see the biggest slide is in courage, faith, hope, and love. I have a question. Where did courage go? Now, we're living in a trembling, stressed out, Xanaxed, fearful generation. Our country is baptized in fear. And I, I love history. I, I, look, I look at history. I read books. And we are the country that produced the greatest generation. You know, World War II generation. Those people, you talk about venture out. I mean, they willingly ran to the poster of Uncle Sam. And they said, let me sign my name. And somebody would say, why are you doing that? Maybe mom would say, why are you doing that? Because it's dangerous. But you see, they had something in Inside of them called courage. They they didn't they didn't hate their life. They they weren't people that said I I don't care about my life. No, they were people who had courage. They took risk, and so ordinary people became heroes. Not simply because of the valor of war, but for the fact that they were willing to take a risk for something. They had courage. Before them, people not too long ago, they ventured out. There, there's uh, many, many stories of people who sold the farm and, and they said, we're going to put everything that we can in a covered wagon and we're going to head west because they say that there's a beautiful land out there and if we can get there, there is a reward for us. We can find a homestead. We can set up a life in Oregon or Montana or Colorado or California or whatever. And so what they did was they, they, they loaded everybody up and the risks were astonishingly high, but they ventured out because they had Courage. They had courage. Not everybody made it. In fact, many turned back, many failed. But there was an unending line of people who were willing to stand in their place and say, maybe you didn't make it, but I'm going to try. And it was because of that spirit, the courage to try, the courage to fail, the courage to risk it all in pursuit of their dream or a cause that was bigger than themselves. That's what made America great. There's been a shift in our nation. And even in most of the world, my wife and I, we flew from Manila. The, the government shut down the country, and we, try, we tried to stay. We stayed actually 10 days after they shut everything down, and it got worse and worse from our condo. We could see the lights of the city of Manila, a city of 20 million people, a city that never sleeps, get darker and darker every night. And the traffic would get slower and slower until we would go, we would, we would sit there looking out our window at the busy, busy highway and no cars, not one. 
And so finally, after 10 days, we boarded a plane. Turned out it was the last flight, last Delta flight out of the country. And we went through Seoul, Korea. In that airport, massive modern airport, all the employees were in place, but there were very few travelers. In fact, my wife and I felt like we were the only travelers in that terminal. It was a huge terminal. We got on the planes, and there were people wearing full hazmat suits. You see, fear, and I'll address this in a moment, put it into context, so don't, don't get too far ahead of me, please. Give me a little bit of time to develop this. But for, fear is the dominant state of humanity today. You see, we went through periods of time that were called ages. A long time ago, they had something called the Iron Age. The Bronze Age followed. Then you go ahead years and years, and there was the Age of Enlightenment. Then the Industrial Age showed up. And then in the uh, 60s, 70s, 80s, they called it the Age of Greed. Then they said, now it's the Space Age because we have gone to space. But it kind of fizzled out because we don't hear about space much anymore. Because the reason is, and nobody told me this, but the reason is, is that we are now in the age of fear. We're in the age of fear. We haven't put somebody on the moon in a long time. And you know what? We're more able now than we ever were then because this cell phone in my hand has more computing power than all the computers that were in uh, NASA in Houston combined. One cell phone. But the difference is, and you're free to disagree with me, but the difference is that we are now in the age of fear. I'm not calling everyone fearful because there's always those that say, no, not me. I'm not part of this generation. I, I'm not like the world. I, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. And so I'm not saying that everybody is part of that. But what I'm, what I'm saying, you have to understand what an age is. An age is a widely recognized feature of a time. And the prevailing climate of our nation, it's just woven into our fabric now, is fear. JFK famously said, we have nothing to fear except what? Fear itself. In other words, I don't care what happens. I'm going to find a way. We're going to be able to make it through this. We're going to venture through this. And the only thing that we really can't allow to happen is to give in to fear. That's what JFK was saying, right? But we have changed that now. And nobody's articulated this. But the new, the new slogan, if JFK was alive today, he would probably have to say, we have everything to fear except fear itself. Because fear is now, it seems like it's the new virtue. It seems like people are attracted to the fearful in our generation. It's like I can't trust you unless you're fearful. If you're too bold, there must be something wrong with you. If you're confident, there's got to be something wrong with you. And so the number one requirement is if you're going to be my leader, you have to lead in fear. Fear is now in style. Fear is fashionable. We bling our fear out. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. At a church in New England just 200 years ago, 
five young men boarded a ship and they went to uh, they, they went to India as the first organized group of American missionaries to travel overseas only 200 years ago and that started something I mean there were people who at church services man they would preach and the altars would be flooded with people men and women uh, boys girls old people young people all saying Lord oh I would love to give my life for a cause like that I would love it was the highest calling it was it was people saying I would be willing to give everything away just let me go Lord if you can use anybody, you can use me. And because of that, much of the world owes its walk with God to the American church and the courage of people who were on ordinary pews, ordinary people who said, the courage inside of me allows me to do something extraordinary in my world. And so when you look at it, courage Faith, hope, and love. They don't stand alone. All of those things must be tied to something. They are like that line that flies a kite. It is useful as long as the line is being anchored from the ground. But as soon as that line is cut or it's released, then the kite loses its ability to fly because the line is only as good as its anchor. We know that God is the anchor. Which is the reason why our nation is floundering today and having a hard time finding their courage, finding their faith, finding their hope, and finding their love. Because when you cut the line, somebody say amen. amen. Jericho was like our day today. If you look at this, I want to revisit a verse, Je Jer uh, Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1. This is the beginning of that story. And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly saying, go view the land, even Jericho. Jericho was the target that was next. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. That was not an accident. And so what happens is there, this city of Jericho in those days was not a Palestinian country, so to speak. It was actually part of Egypt. It was an Egyptian city-state the, in those days. And so here you have off somewhere out there, they know they're there, are two million or more Israelites who just made the break, I don't know, 40 years previous from uh, Egypt. And they've been wandering around and they've been reading the news about these people for 40 years. They, they, they heard about the explosive uh, uh, a prison break, so to speak, and how that happened. And now, you know, they know about the Red Sea, the Ten Plagues. They, they, they've got people out there that are saying, man, they've got a rock that follows them around in the wilderness and gives them water. I mean, that was the news in the city of Jericho. They get manna from heaven because everybody's probably thinking, how in the world are two million plus people sustaining themselves out there? Well, we've got reports that every morning they wake up and they have unlimited food. And they're in the desert and they get water and, and everybody's going, wow, that is a miracle because we don't get that. 
Not only that, their clothes don't wear out. Their shoes don't wear out. They, this is all stuff that was, that was being reported into the city of Jericho. And then they heard that they destroyed two powerful cities, cities more powerful than Jericho. And they, they were, you know, a giant race of people. And so the king hears now that they're, they're in my city. The two spies are in my city. And he finds out that they visited the house of Rahab the harlot. And so he sends for her. He says, come in. I need to ask you where they are. And Rahab tells the king they were here, but they're gone. She told a lie. If you hurry, you can catch them. She actually had hidden them on top of her roof. And up on top of her roof, she had bundles of stalks of flax that she would use to, once she removed the outer layer of that uh, stalk of flax inside was like a linen that they would weave and it would go into making clothing and different things. And so the king's men went the wrong way looking for him. And the question you have to ask is why did the harlot Rahab tie her fortunes to the welfare of these two spies? What have they done for her? I mean, this is her city that is threatened. But you see, we find that Rahab, uh, Rahab was 10 years old when the Red Sea crossing happened. It was a formative thing in her life. And so she has now been alive 40 more years. And the Bible records a telling conversation that Rahab had with these spies up on the roof just before she tucks them away into the stalks of flax. You find it in verse 9. And she said unto the men, listen to this, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. Amen. I know. I've been seeing the reports. Your God ain't like our God. There's something different about you. See, I pray to my God, and my God don't do what your God does. My God don't have the power your God has. And she said, I know that your God has given you the land. And then it says, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that the inhabitants, all the inhabitants of the land, faint because of you. However, she was not afraid. The thing that made them afraid made her excited. Because you see, they were looking at it all wrong. They were looking at the power. But they weren't saying maybe that power can be mine too. They were afraid because they were saying that power is going to be used against us. We don't have the power of the, the Egyptian army of Pharaoh. We don't have, I mean, they parted the Red Sea, their God did. And, and, and we can't stand against them like the two cities of the giants and different things like that. But Rahab was looking at it the right way. She was saying, what if I can make that God my God? But the people of the city were, they were fainting. They were saying, we can't win. I've been afraid before, but I've never fainted. Has anybody, don't raise your hand. Has anybody fainted for fear? Now, I heard a story about a lady who walked into her kitchen and there was a mouse. And she screamed so loud that mouse fainted. So I know it happens. 
but a mouse. I don't know about a man, but that's what she's, she's saying, that, that it was so frightening to them that the climate in their culture was so baptized in fear that people were passing out. Jesus described the end times. And this is how he described humanity at the time of the end. In Luke 21, he said, men's hearts faint for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. In other words, he's saying there is going to come a time where the events of planet earth the conditions the situations are going to be so fearful that people are going to be like they were in jericho just pass out fainting for fear and then look at verse 11 she's saying uh earlier she said we heard about the red sea drying up we heard about the two kings you utterly destroyed and then verse 11 and as soon as we had heard these things our hearts did Melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Sounds like she had her mind made up who the real God was, doesn't it? It sounds like she knew which, which wagon to, to hitch her horses to and say, or other way around, wagon hitch the horses and say, this is the way I'm going. I don't want to just live my life by tradition. I want to find out where God's moving and I want to go that way. I want to follow after the power of God. She's describing a city that is quaking in fear, defeated before they're even attacked. There was no courage in any man. But Rahab had a plan. Verse 12. She starts negotiating with these spies because she's got a plan. She don't know how to get into their religion. She's not of them. She's a pagan. She's a harlot. But she says this. Verse 12. Now therefore I pray, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord since I have showed you kindness that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. How many of you know what a token is? Token don't mean much unless the person who gave it keeps their word. Verse 13, and that ye will save alive my father, my mother, and my brethren, and my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver them, or deliver our lives from death. Amen. The men promised we'll do it as long as you keep silent. You don't tell, tell on us. We're going to keep our word and do what we said we're going to do. Verse 15. And look what it says. And then she let them down by a cord through the window. For her house was upon the town wall and she dwelt upon the wall. You know what's about to happen to that wall, don't you? Huh? Jericho. Wall. Not a real good place to build your house. But she let them down by a cord through the window, verse 18, the men responded. Once they got to the bottom, they said, Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line. So they're still holding it. You will bind this line of scarlet. Look how they described it. Scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee, Keep them inside the house 
And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of the house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be upon our heads, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made unto us to swear. And she said, according unto your words, so be it. She sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line or scarlet thread in the window. Now, it, it begs uh, clarification. These men had no idea how they were going to attack Jericho. They had no idea that they were going to march around the city and that they weren't even going to touch the walls. They weren't going to have to use battering rams. They weren't going to have to shoot arrows up into the, the ramparts. They weren't going to have to do anything. They had no idea what was about to happen. And so their oath, I think in their mind, they were thinking that when we come to attack this city, we're going to tell everybody, look at the wall. And if you see a scarlet thread hanging out of that window, that's the place that you want to go in and protect those people. And when we finally break through, you protect them. But that's not what happened. What happened was that they started marching around the city and the walls fell flat. And so we'll get to that in a minute. But can you, can you imagine for a moment that Rahab is talking to these two spies and she's saying, okay, I want to make an agree agreement with you. I know your God has given you the land. I know what he's done. He parted the Red Sea. I know everything. He, he, you guys have destroyed these two kings utterly. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to help you get away. And like, well, how are you going to do that? We're, we're stuck up here on this massive wall. And she looks around the house. And she finds a spool of scarlet thread. Why don't we use this? Huh, really? Thread. It actually said a thin line of thread. The word thin in there is not by accident. It's there to tell you that there wasn't much to it. But I believe, and I can't prove this, but I just believe when reading this and studying the story of Rahab and finding out what she meant to the Jewish people going forward is that Rahab had enough faith that she was saying, you know what, even this thread, if God can part the Red Sea, why can't he make this thread hold two men that are hanging out the window above the high rocks? And she's saying, I, I just believe this is gonna work. I, I've got that kind of faith in your God. And those men didn't have any other choice. They didn't have any other way out. And so they're like, well, this ain't really the best plan because if I'm going to use a, a, a rappelling line coming out of a window, I want a big, thick rope, not a thin thread. And Rahab, don't worry. It's going to hold. It's going to hold, not because of this. Because of him. <laughs> so why don't, you, why don't you just trust me? Why don't you just tie yourself to this right here? And why don't you just let me let you down out of that window? Because if I do, I know that the God that rescued you, listen, I've got a memory. I don't forget what God has done. He didn't do it for me, but I read it in the book. I read that he parted the Red Sea. I read that there's a rock that followed you in the wilderness. I read that manna came from heaven. I read that your clothes didn't wear out. I read that God gives you power over everything that you attack. So why can't God use this? And they made it. <laughs> I bet the men were kind of surprised. 
That's why they said, okay, here's the token. Here's going to be our sign. That thing that saved us is going to save you. Remember, it'll hold. It'll hold. Keep going down. It'll hold. It'll hold. Don't worry, guys. And those rocks are way down there. Don't worry. It's going to hold. It's going to hold. Fear not. It's going to hold. And they got all the way to the bottom and they said, that's the sign. Put it out the window. Do you know that in the Hebrew, listen, we were, we were traveling the other day, my wife and I. We were texting our friends, Terry and Melanie Shop. My wife, she's, she, she loves posting about hope. Hope is one of her big words. Gratitude, hope, you know, all that kind of stuff. You got to fight for that. Amen? That don't come to you naturally. You got to work at it. If you want to be hopeful, you got to be somebody that says, I've got a made up mind that I'm going to learn, how, I'm going to teach myself how to be hopeful and not fearful. I'm going to be grateful, not ungrateful. I'm going to focus on gratitude. I'm going to write things that I'm grateful on every single day. I'm going to write my gratitudes down. I'm going to count my blessings. I'm going to name them one by one. I'm not leaving my own attitude up to just circumstance and chance. And so she, she texts. We're in a group text. And she said, I'm tired of reposting things that somebody else wrote. How about our people give us just an awesome quote about hope and I'll post it. And so Terry He's kind of funny, and he said, hope, not dope. I was like, ha, 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 that's real funny. I thought that was funny. So we started a bunch of dumb stuff going back and forth. We weren't being very productive, you know, me and Terry. We're just being crazy. And I said, hope, not a rope. You know, don't give up. Don't hang yourself on the rope, you know, and because it rhymed. And then Melanie comes back with this spiritual thing. We're like, why do you got to ruin our fun with a spiritual thing? She said, do you know that the word rope or cord in Hebrew is tikvah? I said, no, I didn't know that it's tikvah. Word line, tikvah. I was like, why would I know that? I don't speak Hebrew. Tikvah actually has two meanings. Hebrew doesn't have two meanings in many words. Hebrews... Hebrew language has huge vocabulary. Now, American uh, English, we have like deer. That's my deer. But you guys also shoot deer. Don't shoot my deer. Because we use the same word, but it means different things. Hebrew language doesn't really do that very much. It's one word means one thing. But the word tikva actually means two things. It means cord, line, or hope. Hope. And so I started looking at that and I was thinking, so wait a minute. That makes this, that makes this story much more interesting here. Because when Rahab the harlot was living in her sin, living in that shameful life that no doubt she was trying her best to escape from and just was in a cycle and couldn't get out of it. She had the flax on the roof and she was trying to make a respectable living and she's weaving and while she's weaving those fibers of flax together, she is making hope. And so when those men were high above the rocks and they were hanging out the window. They were hanging by a thin scarlet 
Don't worry. Hope will hold. Don't worry. Maybe all you're doing is you're just hanging by a thread. But hope don't need much. You see, hope is powerful. That's why we've got to be people of hope. And so when, when they were hanging out on that, that scarlet line of hope, or they called it a thread of hope, and when they said, okay, you hang that out, she was hanging hope out the window. She didn't have a signed contract. She didn't have a guarantee. She didn't know if these guys were going to do what they said they were going to do. They had no authority. There was not even a handshake that was recorded. All she had was hope. Is it going to hold? Rahab, your whole family is depending on this. Is that, is that hope going to hold? Oh, it'll hold. Remember, Rahab was 10 years old when the Jews crossed over. When the Red Sea thing happened. 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. Do you know some historians and some, some Jewish rabbis teach that Rahab was actually a harlot for 40 years. She's 50 years old now. Think of what she's got going against her. She's living in the wall that's about to come down. She's 50 years old, which in their day was old. Now it's young. I know that because I'm 54. She was a woman, which in those days was, was not a, a thing that, that gave her a lot of power in her culture. She was a pagan, but she had hope. <laughs> she was literally surrounded by doom. The walls of her house were doomed to fall. But she had a scarlet thread of hope. You know why? Because I'd heard about the Red Sea. I heard about the miracles. I heard what that God can do. And so this right here ain't just any hope. This is my tikva is in him. There's no God like their God. There's no God like their God. That's why you might laugh at this and you might say, how in the world is this going to hold your entire family? Don't worry about that. He's going to worry about that. I got my hope in him. Some trust in horses and some trust in chariots. But for me, I don't trust in those things. I might use those things, but my hope is in God. God can save his people. Why can't he save me also? Amen. I need a, I need a volunteer, a lady. Come on, somebody just jump up and run up. I'm not going to make you embarrassed. There you go. Perfect. Thank you. Maybe we can move this pot just over there a little bit. And what we're going to do is we're going to call this a rock. Does that look like a rock to you? It looks like a rock to me. So just, just stand. Just stand there for a minute. When life is uncertain, you've got to find the rock. You see, the, the people of Jericho, their faith was in their wall. They had fear 
but they didn't have fight. All they had was, this right here is going to make me safe, but I ain't going to have to do anything. They're just not going to be able to get in. That was their whole plan. And she was, she, she was different. She was saying, no, that won't hold. Your hope is in something that's not going to hold, but my hope is in the rock. Let me tell you something. Let me just divert just for a second. I just told everybody to follow us on social media. But let me tell you, social media is not always your friend. Social media can ever more destroy your faith. It can destroy your hope. You can be following people that are saying the dumbest things and predicting the dumbest things. They may even be a prophet. They may even be saying, I know, I heard from God, and this is going to happen. Listen, this is your man of God right here. This is who you need to put everything through. He's not going to lead you astray. Those people out there, they're just trying to get you to click on their page. They've got other motives. You don't need to listen to them. Your hope is not in their prediction and they're hearing from God. And not only that, Google's not your friend. I use Google. Less and less, but I use Google. But I'm telling you, man, when, when something's going wrong, Google is not your friend. Whatever happened to going to the Word of God? Lord, where's my rock? I'm in, a, I'm in a turbulent time. No, we go to Google. Kids don't even ask their parents questions anymore. They used to say, you know, hey, what's the moon made of or something like that? They don't, even, they don't bother ask. They know we don't know. But Google knows. So they go to Google, right? The problem with us is we go to Google before we go to prayer. I got a pain in my big toe. Google. One out of six billion people, pain in big toe meant brain cancer. Oh, Lord. I've got brain cancer. Huh? Right? That ain't how you diagnose nothing. The best thing to do? Ah, I'm meddling. The more you read, the more it seems the world's doomed, doesn't it? How many of you agree? How many of you think the news is full of a lot of just good old news? I mean, it's just, man, you read the news and you feel great after you've read the news. Wow, our world is great. Our country is doing great. We are so loving. Our nation loves one another and we're just doing great. No, I know what happens. You read the news, your emotions just, and then you wonder why you're stressed out, why you can't sleep at night. I got to pop a pill so I can sleep. Amen. Remember, the message today is just simple. Where's your hope tied to? Our hope ain't in this world. We already know what's going to happen to this world. This world's going to be gone. It's going to melt with fervent heat. That's not our hope. Our hope ain't in nothing in this world. Our hope is in Him. In Him alone. The Bible says everything that can be shaken shall be shaken. So why in the world do you want to tie yourself to anything around here? Okay, so our hope is in him. And guess what? It's going to hold. All right, so this is a scarlet thread of hope. Why don't you just take, uh, just take that part right there. Tie that around that rock if you don't mind. Because we've established the rock is Christ Jesus. Tie it where it won't come off. That might slide off right there. Oh, it's already sliding. Man, you've got to tie that knot tight. <laughs> Amen. Oh, it don't look like much. It's just a thread. You ever heard the term of hanging by a thread? 
I think it, I think it originated out of the story of Rahab. Hanging those two guys out by a thread. It said a thin thread. All right, I'm going to hand this to you. You're the holder of hope. Outside the army was marching. Six days, they marched one time. Everybody's trembling behind the wall. Did you hear what's happening? Those crazy people with the powerful God is outside. They're here now. And they're marching. What are they marching for? I don't know. Man, they couldn't sleep at night. They're just trembling away. And Rahab's out dangling her, <laughs> dangling the hope out the window. Hey, y'all, remember me? I'm the one with the hope, the scarlet thread of hope. My house, I got mom and dad here. I got my brothers and my sisters here. I got everybody that means anything to me here. They stayed in the house. They listened to the word. They haven't gone running out of the house when things got bad. They got to stay in the house. Y'all stay in the house. But then on the seventh day, here they go marching around the city. Everybody's used to it. They're freaked out. But when they start taking a second lap, they are Xanax. What's going on? Six days they take one lap. Seventh day they're doing another one. And the, when they start the third lap, newsflash, the children of Israel have now begun a third lap. I guarantee there are people who just pass out. Faint with fear. We don't even know how to handle this. And then the fourth lap, the fifth lap, the sixth lap. Listen, I, I think those walls came down because they were shaking with fear so much, they just shook their own walls down. But hope held. Her house was in the walls, but hope held. Is it holding? It's holding. Listen, I don't know how this happened. I've been trying to think this. Because the men said... We're not going to come in. All of our soldiers are not going to come in. We're not going to kill anybody in your house. Well, there was no house. It fell down. So what happened? I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they made a signal. And maybe Rahab and her whole family shimmied down that scarlet thin thread too of hope. I don't know. Or maybe everything started shaking and everything fell except her house. Because you see, God honored that. Or maybe everything fell and they fell with it. And somebody went and looking through the rumble, rubble. And they said, look at here it is. It's the scarlet thread of hope. And they said, why don't we give it a pull? Well, what's the use? The whole thing came down on them. Their house is in the middle of that. Do it anyway. Give it a pull. And they started giving it a pull. Somebody popped out. Rahab, she's hanging on to it. Poof. And then behind her, poof, there's a brother. And then her dad comes out, and her mom comes out. They just keep pulling, keep pulling. And the only ones that are saved out of that rubble is Rahab and all of her family because they're holding on to their hope. Let me tell you about Rahab's hope. Tikva. Everybody say Tikva. Rahab's Tikva, or scarlet thread of hope. Literally, her entire world came crashing down, but the scarlet thread of hope held. The 50-year-old pagan harlot ended up marrying one of the two spies. 
Now, how's that for a love story? Huh? You know, in, in Jewish tradition, they honored that man. His name was Salmon. They honored him because he took her to wife after her being a harlot for 40 years and a pagan and whatnot. There was something about that woman that triggered in the, the minds and the imagination of the Jewish people. And when he married her, they all just applauded. They said, that is so awesome. We're all for it. And do you know what happened? They had a child. Do you know what their first child's name was? Boaz. Do you know who Boaz ended up marrying? He found a Moabitess who was a pagan, who was a widow, who didn't have any, she didn't have anything going for her except, I need one more volunteer, a woman preferably. Come on, just stand up, just run up here. You stay right where you are and give them a little line and hang on to the line too. Don't let no, just stand right there and grab the line. Grab the line, right there, yeah. There you go. Now she's going to grab the line and you're going to walk away from her with, there you go. Take, take hope with you. All right, stop right there. And so Ruth ends up marrying Boaz. You know why I know she had hope? Was because the first day she was in Bethlehem, Judah, she didn't have anything. Her mother-in-law didn't have anything. But when she woke up in the morning, she looked out the window and the Bible said she literally said this. Oh, there's the harvesters. Mother-in-law, I'm going to go there because I might find favor. So she had hope. And guess what? The scarlet line held for her. She was accepted into a new culture. She was adopted in. Because the thread of hope helped. She, she hoped for respect. And did she ever get it? Did she ever get it? She got Ruth and Boaz. And then Ruth didn't have anything, but Boaz was wealthy. I don't know how it happened, but Rahab, God blessed you. Out of the rubble, God blessed you. All those dreams you were having, the nightmares that were saying, man, it's about over. I've lived the best part of my life. I don't worry about that. The best is yet to come. Just keep hanging on to the tikvah. Don't let go of the hope. You're thinking, well, I've lived the best part of my years. I, I've given the best part of my strength to this world. No, I'm here to tell you that you've got to hold on to hope because the best is yet to come. Somebody's got to declare that with me. Hallelujah. Let me tell you what happened after that. Ruth and Boaz had a son. I need somebody. You just come up. Just grab. Do what, do what they did. Just keep the line going. Keep the line going. Hallelujah. His name was Obed. I need somebody else. Just jump up. A man. Real quick. His name was Jesse. They had a son named Jesse. Isn't this awesome? And then after Jesse. Hallelujah. After Jesse. Jesse had a son named David. Is the, whole, is the line holding? It don't look like much, but it's, it's, it's not the line that matters. It's what it's tied to that matters. Amen. Hallelujah. I need somebody. Come up. Somebody, a man. Come up. Hallelujah. You're King David. Look at how it goes. And then after him, one more. There's King Solomon. Solomon, you look like a Solomon back there. Why don't you come? Oh, man, there's two Solomon. You all both geniuses. Come on up and grab it and keep going. Let me tell you, there was, a, there was a curse that was pronounced by God. Deuteronomy, I didn't tell you about this, my bad. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3. Are you guys okay? I'm almost done. Oh, I hope you're okay. 
We got one person. Okay, we'll keep going. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3. Look at this. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the kingdom of the Lord, uh, congregation of the Lord. Even unto their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. This was a law. Pagan, Moabitess, one, two, three, fourth generation. Listen, let me tell you how powerful hope is. I believe that Rahab taught Ruth even more about hope. And she's like, you know what? There's a law in Deuteronomy that says I can't go into the congregation of the Lord. And she was telling her, don't worry, just keep praying. Because I believe that God will even break his own rules for us. As long as we hold on to hope. As long as we're tied to him. And so they kept believing. They kept hoping. And they were like, you can't go into the congregation. It's a law for the 10th generation. One, two, three, four. Okay, we can't go into the congregation. We can't go into the tabernacle. But what if we build it? What if we're the ones who build it? Can we go in then? And they were like, yeah, you can go in. I believe that God will break. Listen, I don't know. If pastor wants to say something different about this, I believe that God breaks his own rules for you. You've got a child that's backslid and you're saying, I don't know how this is going to work. Listen, you've got to have enough hope inside of you. Don't give up hope. You've got to have enough hope inside of you that says, God, I don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't know. I don't know why they, they don't want to live for you. I've prayed. I've cried. I've done everything I can do. But God, if you've got to break the rules for me, break the rules. I don't want my kid going to hell. I don't want my kid lost. Hallelujah. They may not live right, but they're going to die right. God, you're going to break the rules for me. Yeah, play. Hallelujah. Is the rope holding? It don't look like much, but that's how hope is. After all of her mistakes, 40 years probably of being a harlot and a pagan, Rahab kept hoping. No less than eight prophets. We could, we could run another line of eight people around holding on to this. Eight prophets came from Rahab. Is that incredible? A couple of them were major prophets. Do you know how many kings came from her? There were judges that ruled over Israel, came from her lineage. King after king after king, Rahab is, the, is, is hope holding. It didn't look good when you were in that, that situation. Everybody said it was over. But it ain't over till God says it's over because I'm holding on to my hope. The book of James, the book of James written by the blood, brother of Jesus only mentions two women, or two people, I'm sorry, two people when describing the relationship between faith and works. One is Abraham, no, no surprise there. But the other person he chooses out of all the people he could have picked was Rahab. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, it's the, it's the hall of faith. The heroes of faith. Only two women are mentioned. Sarah and Rahab. How's hope holding? <laughs> Hallelujah. And then if you keep on going, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, they're going through the genealogy. They're setting up for the arrival of Emmanuel, God with us. And in that lineage... Rahab, Jesus Christ, produced 
Don't let the enemy drown you in fear. Listen, this whole world, don't worry about it. I know we've got to be responsible. But don't worry about these things that are about to happen to this world. God's got this. If his eye is on the sparrow, I know he's watching me. Just hold on to hope. He closed the lilies of the field. Don't worry about it. When they let Daniel down into the lion's den, they said, we're putting you down. This is the rope of doom because those lions are going to eat you. He's, no, this is my tikvah. This is my hope. Okay, you can all just bring that line up here. Put it right here on the altar. Just, just, you don't have to roll it up. Just, just put it up here. Let me, let me tell you something. I just want to get personal. Listen, I'm closing, but this ain't going to make me look good, and I don't care, because I'm real. I'm real. After the doctors told me, they said, the cancer's gone, Mr. Mallory. It's been years, chemotherapy, bone marrow transplant. God healed me. Cancer went away. Stage four cancer went away, thank God. But after it did, you know what the doctors told me five years ago? They said, well, the cancer is no longer a threat to you. It's gone. It was incurable, but it's gone. They said, but the thing you're going to have to watch for the rest of your life because of your immune system is a nasty virus. That's, that's, that's what you're going to have to watch out for. The number one thing, they, they took my wife and I, the National Institutes of Health, the department that Dr. Fauci is in charge of, the infectious disease portion, they sent representatives to us and they said, we are going to teach you how to try to be safe from a nasty virus that might come upon this earth. And they did. They, they told us everything. Stayed in our heads. I mean, my wife, she sanitizes everything. We've been doing that before any of this. You don't know it when I shake your hand. My wife's up behind me with some alcohol or something, putting it in my hands, and I'm doing like this. It's just, it's, it's what we got to do. But to me, it's not fear. It's just being responsible. That's just what I got to do. It's the same as when I get in a car. I put a seatbelt on. But I don't put it on in fear. If I did, I probably wouldn't go anywhere. I wouldn't venture out. You know how many accidents there are every day? No. Put on my seatbelt. I say, God, okay, I did what I can do. Now it's up to you. I'm going to keep my eyes on the road, not text and drive. But I ain't, doing, I ain't living my life in fear. But you know what happened with this pandemic? I didn't know it. It started getting into me. Because it's constant. It's 24-7. You, you never stop hearing about it. And my doctors are telling us, you can't go out. We quarantined for seven months. We went to church one time in seven months. Went to Father's Day to be with my dad and my kids who were in Phoenix. We were there one service in seven months. And here I'm thinking, I'm just, I'm just doing this. But what I didn't realize, I'm just, I'm just going to be honest. I don't know. I don't know. Y'all are far more spiritual than me, I know. But somewhere along the line,
found another another hope. I didn't doubt God. You don't even know you're doing what you're doing half the time. The heart is the heart is deceitful. No man knows it. And it didn't hit me until I was in church one day after we decided, listen, we can't be shut down forever. This is not sustainable. We got to go to church. I miss church. I have to be with people. And so we come to church, and I'm not even thinking about it. I don't even have a thought in my mind of fear. But you know what started happening to me? I didn't feel safe in the house of God. Now, I know somebody out there, you're going, I don't have that problem. I've never felt, I've never felt that. I've always felt safe around people. Well, your struggle ain't my struggle. I bet you got something that, I bet you got something that one day your hope was in God. I don't know what it was. Lean not into your own understanding. But in all thy ways acknowledge him. Maybe your hope is now your own opinion. Your own way of living. Maybe, maybe your hope is in your finances. How you run your finances. Maybe your hope is in whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. Everybody lives different. It, it's, it's, not the, it's not the issue. It's the principle. And I said, God, I ain't living this way when he showed me. I didn't feel safe in the house of God. I ain't doing this. I'm going to do everything I can, everything I can responsibly do. But at the end of it, my hope is in you. <clears throat> but do you know, what he, you know what he told me? He told me, he said, and this is through prayer, this is through tears, this is through laying in an altar by myself, for hours up in Wisconsin. He dealt with me. He said, no, 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 no. It's not about feeling safe or not feeling safe in church. That's not the issue. The issue is you don't feel safe with me. I'm holding your life right here. I got your life. And you don't feel safe. Man, that was a rebuke to me. Do you know the only reason we live and have breath is because he gave us life? Do you know that every day you wake up in the morning, you ought to say, thank you, Jesus? It wasn't because of you. No man's promised tomorrow. We're here because of the mercy and grace of God. Our hope is in God. Somebody bring up those thin scarlet. Oh, there they are. Brenda, can you bring them up? Amen. Look at this. It's just a token. I don't know about you, but I need reminding every now and then. The Lord told the Israelites, he said, when you walk in your door of your house, Above that door, beside the door, something. You need to nail on that thing the law. You need to nail these scriptures. 
Because every time you walk into your house, you need to remember the law of the Lord. Well, sometimes I need to remember that God's got this. It ain't much. It's just a thin thread of hope. But it's tied to the God of the universe. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will remain forever. I want you to know that my God is up in heaven right now building you a home, a mansion. Our, our future is secure. You are safe in his hands. Right now, why don't we just take a moment with him. Search yourself. Maybe you could care less about the virus. But maybe there's something else you've learned to trust in. You put your faith in it. Lord, my hope. I'm not, I'm not going to stop being responsible, God. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop trying to live my life smart. But God, my hope is in you. That's why I won't fear. When I see all these things come upon the earth, I won't fear. I'll have hope. I'll look up. My redemption draweth nigh. I'm going to hang on to that and out of that rubble. The angel's going to pull. And me and my family's going to come out of that rubble. You're going to be safe. I want to rebuke the devourer. I want to rebuke the word that's been coming to you saying, it's over, doom, gloom, whatever it is, you're safe. Tie it somewhere, you'll see it. The scarlet thread of hope. My hope is in you, God. Scarlet thread of hope. That's how a miracle works. God is faithful. God will never leave you nor forsake you. He's closer than a brother. He's close as the mention of his name. Here you go. Take some hope. And hang on to it and don't let go. And keep your family in the house. Keep them in the house of God. There's a lot of hope. If you need some, come up. Lord Jesus. Here's some. Here's some. I got more. Hope is limitless because hope comes from inside you. Tie it to God. I wonder if we could just lift it up right now. It's just a symbol. I know there's, there's no power in a symbol. But what it does, if it can bring our mind back to the fact, Lord, you parted the Red Sea. I serve the God that parted the Red Sea. I serve the God that the rock followed him in the wilderness. Amen.
Lord, our hope is in you. Let's just tell him right now. God, as a church, as a body, as a family, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve you, Lord. My hope is in you. I speak against the spirit of fear right now in the name of Jesus. I bind it in Jesus' name. Devil, your tactic has always been fear. It's the opposite of love. God's tactic is love. Your tactic is fear. I bind fear in the name of Jesus. Fear, you are illegal in a a child of God's life. I cast you out. I, I bind you in Jesus' name. I let peace reign in this house. I speak a special, a special word of peace to Sister Goins right now. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. It's not peace the world gives you. It's not peace the doctors give you. It's God's peace. Lord, in the name of Jesus, give Sister Goins a special cocoon of peace. Let's love the Lord. How about it? Come on, let's love him all over this house. Clap your hands. Lift your voice. Brother Gordon, how many years were you and Sister Mallory in the Philippines? Did, did you see a lot of miracles there? Wow. Did you see a lot of miracles there? A lot of miracles. We've seen a lot of miracles. Do you guys believe God's got one more? Do you believe he's out or does he have one more? Elder, I would be so honored if you and your sweet wife would lay hands on my mother right now and rebuke cancer out of her body. She's right there behind you. In the name of Jesus. I believe God's got one more miracle. One more miracle somebody speak right now with hope and faith and believe that God is the healer how about it he's the healer now clap your hands if you have faith amen 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 I don't want chemo to get the credit or radiation to get the credit or a surgeon's scalpel to get the credit. I want Jesus to get the credit by his stripes. Come on, what happened to your voice? By his stripes, we are healed. We are healed. Has God ever healed you? Has God ever touched you? He is so good to us. Oh, what a word tonight. What a word we have received. Hold on to hope. Don't let it go. If you are living with a spirit of fear, there's only one sure thing I know. You didn't get it from God. If you are living under a cloud, an umbrella, 
of fear and anxiety and depression and worry, I know one thing, you didn't get it from God. He gives us power over fear, authority over fear, dominion over fear. He gives us power, love, a sound mind. We are not living under a cloud of fear tonight. What a beautiful word. Have you been blessed by the word of the Lord tonight? This church has a very special connection with this family and the ministry to which they've given their lives. Uh, I have been to the Philippines, I think, five times. And as I was watching the, the storm, I, it just the scenery there brought me back. That's The whole country looks like that. It's a beautiful country. And it's full of people who love God and who serve God with everything they have. And my goal is to one day get to heaven and somebody come up and say, I am saved because of the investment. God has given this church a global footprint. We are impacting people all over the world. And I am so grateful for that and for your love. Don't we love the Mallories? Aren't we so thankful to have them with us tonight? Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, we're going to be right back here expecting God to do some amazing things. Are you ready? Do you believe that revival is here? Who's going to bring somebody with you? Who's going to step out and invest in some life to get them to the house of the Lord? We're excited about what God is doing. Greet one another. Greet our guests. We're so honored to have our guests with us tonight. We love you and appreciate you. Greet the Mallories. Thank them for being with us. And we will see you back on Sunday morning. God bless. Be safe. Have a great rest of your week. Jesus name.